Welcome to WDFG Broadcasting Dear Final Girl, the advice and horror podcast where we dish on life and other scary stories. This episode is part of our origin story series where fans recount the horror movies and memories that made them who they are today. Because every final girl, final boy, and final non-binary has a story. Our story today comes from Isaac Thorne. It's called In for a Most Frightening Night. This is Isaac Thorne. I was 14 years old when Fright Night made its theatrical debut in 1985. I was old enough to ride my motorcycle down to my local theater, but not old enough to buy a ticket to a film with an R rating. My town's theater employed only hateful, bullying older teens who would just as soon stub a cigarette out in your eyeball as to look at you. These hired guardians of my youthful film-going experiences were never the cool kids who would let you in even if you didn't meet the minimum age requirement. As such, I was not able to catch the movie in its big-screen, disappointing box office receipts release. Instead, like many other night owl Gen Xers my age, I found it on late night after the parents had long gone to bed premium cable, and I immediately fell in love. What sucked the most about being prevented from seeing Fright Night's theatrical release was that it was precisely the kind of horror movie a kid like me needed to see. At the time, Fright Night was considered throwback horror. The film was writer-director Tom Holland's loving homage to a bygone era when horror movies featured monsters and monster killers. Those were the kinds of horror movies with which he'd grown up. The 1980s, on the other hand, had given way to slashers and box office guarantees. Fright Night's Peter Vincent, Vampire Killer, says as much to teen protagonist Charlie Brewster when Charlie asks for help killing his vampire neighbor, Jerry Dandridge. Peter is a washed-up horror movie actor who has been serving as horror host for a television station in Charlie's town. Charlie confronts Peter as he's walking to his car. Peter, played to the hilt by the late Roddy McDowell, has just been terminated from his job as a late-night horror movie host. I have just been fired because nobody wants to see vampire killers anymore, or vampires either, Peter explains. Apparently, all they want to see are demented madmen running around in ski masks hacking up young virgins. What Holland and his washed-up actor character might not have realized at the time was that there existed an entire younger set of kids, those who had access to cable television but who were not allowed to see R-rated movies in theaters, who had, by 1985, already grown a bit sick of horror slasher prime. By the mid-1980s, slashers had become all about the creativity of the kills and gore effects. They were spectacles, not stories, and they made money. But many of us wanted our monsters back. The evidence was everywhere. Two years before Fright Night, Michael Jackson's Werewolf, Werecat, and zombie-themed thriller music video had changed music and pop culture references forever. One year after that, Wes Craven's Fred Krueger invaded our nightmares in A Nightmare on Elm Street, a rare combination of slasher and monster movie that remains scary to this day. But Fright Night was more. Suddenly, vampires were no longer creatures that inhabited ancient castles on mountaintops far from civilization. They were our suburban neighbors who were able to watch us from across the yard or befriend our lonely and blissfully unaware single mothers while we weren't looking. They were also cool in a contemporary way, dancing seductively in nightclubs to an appealing MTV-ready 1980s soundtrack. There were also three characters with whom any teen in an audience could readily identify. There was the main protagonist, Charlie, William Ragsdale, who no one listens to and no one believes. There was also his girlfriend, Amy, played by Amanda Bierce, 
who wants attention from her boyfriend and then finds it in the arms of his nemesis. Finally, there was Charlie's best friend, Evil Ed, played by Stephen Jeffries. Ed is hopelessly different from other kids and forever picked on by those who have deemed him weird. Combine those three teen-relatable characters with Peter Vincent's Cowardly Lion redemption arc, the confident sexuality of the vampire Jerry Dandridge, played by Chris Sarandon, and the comic relief provided by Billy Cole, played by Jonathan Stark, and G.D. Brewster, played by Dorothy Fielding, and you've created what amounts to a 1980s angsty teen magnet. For a 14-year-old boy seeking gore, scares, comedy, rock and roll, and bare breasts on late-night cable, Fright Night had it all. Too excited to sleep after my first viewing, I grabbed my HBO guide and immediately set my VCR to record the next showing of Fright Night. For years, I returned to that tape time and again. At the peak of my Fright Night obsession, I was watching it at least twice a week. I showed it to friends when they'd come over to stay the night. I watched it alone, in the daytime and late at night. I watched it in regular rotation with Don Coscarelli's The Beastmaster and Richard Donner's Superman the Movie. All of them threaded through the VCR heads until the tape wore thin. For Halloween the following year, I asked my mother to help me find what I needed to dress up either as Jerry Dandridge or as Peter Vincent. We were sort of able to pull off the Jerry Dandridge look with some thrift store clothes and a pair of drugstore fangs, but to this day I still long to do a proper Peter Vincent cosplay. Many connoisseurs of horror movie history point out that the slasher movie made it okay to fornicate on screen as long as there were consequences to that fornication. As a teen, I always felt a twinge of guilt watching those movies in spite of that confusing morality play vibe. I would inevitably cast glances over my shoulder, not to ensure that I wasn't being stalked by a killer, but mainly to verify that my parents hadn't caught me in the act of watching one of those flicks. Not so with Fright Night. In spite of its R rating, Tom Holland's vampire movie made it okay for me to love horror movies and for my parents to know it. Fright Night with Love and Class resurrected the monster movie in the public's consciousness and updated it for a contemporary audience. For that, I am forever a grateful fan. When Peter Vincent chides Generation X for preferring slashers to vampire movies, Charlie responds with an urgent, I believe in vampires. So do I, Mr. Vincent. Thanks to you. Charlie Brewster, Evil Ed, Tom Holland, and a mysterious apple-munching neighbor named Jerry. This has been Isaac Thorne. You can find me and my work at IsaacThorne.com and Isaac R. Thorne on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. (laughs) Wow, okay. So that was Isaac Thorne. That was Isaac Thorne, friend of the show. Um, someone I met through a write-up, essentially, did of Joe Bob's How Redneck Saved Hollywood show when he came to Nashville. Joe Bob noticed the article, gave Isaac a shout-out. I said, hey, man, did you know you got a shout-out? <laughs> and we connected on Twitter, and he has been he has been a buddy ever since, and he's also a very talented uh, horror novelist in his own right. Um so, and a great voice for radio. Oh, should, my gosh. He should be doing podcasts. I mean, not that we want the competition or anything, but, no. you know. Um, no, we're like cage match when it comes to podcasts. We're like <laughs> yeah. full on. Get out of here. No, we're really this is not. our. <laughs> Y'all know us. We're, we're not like that. <laughs> um, no, but um, 
listening to him speak, he sounds like an author. You know how authors have that great reading voice? Yes. um, He might actually, Isaac might actually make a poetry reading sound cool because you know how all poetry readings, (laughs) I went into the room, the room was dark, waiting, waiting. Snaps. Birds flew overhead (laughs) as I blah, blah, (laughs) barf. Okay, um, yeah, so Fright Night, <laughs> Fright Night, so Isaac actually got me to to watch Fright Night. Oh, good. I had not watched it before, so I watched this maybe a month and a half ago. Oh, cool, okay. And it really is everything that he says it is, he, he there's so many themes that he captures here about being a horror fan, but I can't, what, what were your initial impressions? Uh, so there, there is that feeling, um, that, okay, this is a story, an origin story from a particular place and time. Yes. Like there's only about 20 years worth of people who had a VCR at home, maybe had cable, um, but it was before DVDs, uh, before like DVRs, you know, so that you could play anything at any time. Um, So, you know, this felt like the 80s. You know how Stranger Things feels like the 80s? Absolutely. Um, I love, you know, I set my VCR to (laughs) record it the next time because... I never figured out how to set a VCR. I did, actually. And that is where my technological expertise <laughs> began and, and ended. And ended. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I think I was a little young um, yeah. to even... You would have been like four or something. Yeah. Or I don't know. <laughs> and I, apparently I was not very smart about VCR stuff because my parents had the same videotape of... The Wizard of Oz that we played every time I went to visit my grandmother with, the, but it was taped off of TV. Yes. So it had the same like Noxzema commercial and the same <laughs> Max Headroom commercial, and like for years I just thought these were the commercials that played in New Orleans. <laughs> That is the best because you hit on like the totality of that VHS experience. Mm-hmm. Things get, you know, it's 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 like you said, it's not like now where you can just watch almost anything anytime mm-hmm. you want. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, and especially for a horror fan, where you are already feeling a little self-conscious about maybe <laughs> yeah. the fact that you like these movies mm-hmm. and how, how are you going to see them and how are you going to see them undetected mm-hmm. and how could you maybe have copies of your own? It's really the like, <laughs> what are you going to see and how are you going to see it and who are you going to share it with and how many times can you watch it? And, <laughs> and then when you get that locked down on your own homemade VHS, you you get those commercials mm-hmm. locked down in it. You get you get this little time capsule mm-hmm. that becomes a part of the experience. I remember making tapes off the radio. Oh yeah. yeah. And I can still remember 
how certain tapes, how they always began. Mm-hmm. I had one that was like, foreigners, like, say you will. <laughs> that was the beginning of that tape. I don't remember anything else about that tape, but I, you just remember the order. And, and the radio announcer, oh like, gosh, the, yes. the, talking over the song, and you're like, God damn it, yeah, stop talking. Yeah, you ended it that last 30 seconds. <laughs> you did a short version. Don't do that. Uh-uh. <laughs> Um, there was another thing that really spoke to me, which is, you know, not not being allowed to see rated R movies yeah. in the theater, and like obviously kids kids these days, uh, they they have to deal with that as well. But you know, the for me, I wasn't allowed by my parents to watch. PG-13 movies until I was 13, mm-hmm. even if it came on the TV at home. And I had little brothers, and so it was weird. Like, you couldn't just put anything on when your parents weren't home, right? Yeah. They, you know, they would snitch. You were sort of, you were being, as your parents were being mindful of you, you were being mindful of your younger brothers, That's too. a nice way to say it, but no, I was just, <laughs> I knew they would snitch on me. Oh. Um, but uh, I... We've we talked about this in a really early episode that will be a bonus episode at some point. <laughs> right. um, but I didn't I didn't really get into horror movies. I started reading horror because that was okay in right. my family. That you know, yeah, you can read whatever you want if you understand it, sure, whatever. Right. Um, so yeah, that those were the things that. Came up to be also like the sexy vampire thing. Is 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 the vampire in this sexy? Fuck yes, <laughs> yes. Chris Sarandon in this is hot as hell. Uh-huh. I think he was sort of like peak hotness. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fright Night was 1985. He was an extremely hot, seductive, sensual vampire. Did he I have fabulous yes. hair? And he had fabulous hair. I mean, that, I, that's... Black, wavy, <laughs> just, you just wanted to run your fingers through it. Absolutely. <laughs> so I was, I was listening to, this is totally off topic, but it, I thought it was funny. Um, uh, Robert Pattinson was on Fresh Air today. And oh. so this is obviously going to date the episode, but whatever. Um, and he, of course, Terry Gross is like, had to talk about Twilight, right? And she was comparing him to Nosferatu, like mm. like the the Edward character to the Nosferatu. And Robert Pattinson said, "Well, I feel like Edward is sort of like Nosferatu, except for with." He just cares about his hair. I thought that was so great, you know. <laughs> that is awesome. Because, well, one of the one of my favorite vampire movies, Interview with a Vampire, like those vampires are so vain. Just yes, all of them are so vain. They are, and and there's there is, you know, when you have a vampire like Nosferatu. It's been a while since I've seen that film, but there's not the sensuality of the vampire. Mm-mm. It seems like now, I mean, it's 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 about sex, sensuality, and I was actually watching a movie recently with a friend. It's a great movie called Only Lovers Left Alive, mm. and it's a vampire movie, um, but it's set contemporary with references to like the past, you know, decades in history or centuries in history that they've mm-hmm. lived. 
And like a typical vampire film, whenever they drink blood, it's like they're having an orgasm. Mm -hmm. It's like, why is it always like that? I'm like, that's their food. When I eat a pizza, I don't, I'm not like gasming. You know what I mean? And then my friend said, well, you can get a pizza anytime you want. It's a good point. It's a rarity. Right. You've got to, it's it's, kind of like scoring. It, theirs is food. It's a food and it's a, it's an, it's a addictive substance Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you've got the you've got to find it you know Mm -hmm. you've got and then you've got to get enough to make your way through but in any way i'm just thinking that i i have definitely had near (laughs) orgasmic experiences with food it depends on the pizza depends on the yeah 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 (laughs) papa john's is down the street but not so much no no that's just like so I loved one. I, I felt like Isaac. Just, nice segue. Well, I, Thank you. No, please. Yeah. I don't, I, how, what can you do? Just dive right back in. Mm-hmm. So I just felt like Isaac captured everything about what it's like to be a younger horror fan. And we we already mm-hmm, talked a little mm-hmm. bit. Like, how do you procure the goods? Right. What's your first experience, or what's what's the movie watching experience that you? really remember like if somebody asks you like I did him and this is what you know this was his experience mm-hmm. um it's the sneaking mm-hmm. it's the whole world of cinema that cable late night cable tv opened up for an entire generation mm-hmm. of us kids the ability to you know get up really earlier than your parents or stay up later than your parents and watch what you want but I loved how I, I there was just several things that really touched me. You know, he talked about um, the fact that Fright Night made it okay for him to love horror movies and for his parents to know about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I were there no boobs in? Well, no, there are boobs because he talks about how it had gore scares. Oh, yeah comedy rock and roll and bare breasts mm-hmm. so there are boobs but the boobs are um the boobs um unlike final girls friends you know they don't get you killed your breasts do not get you killed Thank that's God. good that's good yeah um but just the fact that you know and he he i think isaac does a really great job of kind of talking about where the genre where the industry was at that point mm-hmm. it's like mid 80s and we're into like multiple sequels already of franchises like right. Halloween, Friday the 13th. We're at least, I think, Nightmare on Elm Street was 84. I mean, there were, you know, there was, um, what's the T.S. Eliot poem? Like, you know, how does the world end with a, not with a bang, but with a whimper? It was mm-hmm. sort of like the, the genre was, was starting to whimper. And I love it that he's like, you know, some of us wanted our monster, our monsters back, mm-hmm. um, because there was there was the slasher had taken over, um, but then at the same time it was starting to just okay, all right, this again, you know, right, yeah, it was starting to lose its. Originality. There's only so many jump scares and like knife porn. Have we talked about knife porn? I know. Ooh, I... no, but let's. I mean, well, it. I think I wrote it down. I can check my notes. Um, I think I wrote it down for Scream because the number of shots of just the hand holding the knife up in the air, rearing back, ready to stab anyone, that that to me feels like knife porn. Like, okay, and I, I... 
I think that what Wes Craven was doing in Scream was trying to mirror Psycho, but there was sort of a kitschiness to it yes. that like these guys were doing it to satisfy themselves. Yes. You know, that that it was that that's where they got off on being like the the slashers from the uh, films. Ooh, that's a really good point. I mean, it's like, okay, knife as phallus, you know. Yeah. We, we have that. But the idea of well, it's so it's both. It's it's the knife being used on generally a female victim. Mm-hmm. But just to your point what you said about scream, the pleasure that Billy and Stu take in mm-hmm. wielding that mm-hmm. knife and how the iconic imagery of it and, you know, the self-awareness in that film of, you know, just where we're actually talking about the horror genre, mm-hmm. that, that that would have a special... Yeah, the fantasy. They want He's to living show out off. the fantasy. The fa- that is yeah. the perfect, mm-hmm. yeah, that's the perfect word. That is mm-hmm. the perfect word. Mm-hmm. So I loved what I loved um, Isaac talking about the you know the taboo of R ratings mm-hmm. and also you know tr- wanting you know not being able to see it at the theater because he wasn't old enough mm-hmm. um, and also I mean we've got we've got another subtopic in here of just like bullies and mean kids mm-hmm. you know these the 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 kids at the ticket counter weren't the ones that were gonna go hey it's all right just go ahead and sneak it no these were the kids who were gonna kick your ass. <laughs> um, so, jerks. Yeah. Sounds like the plot of, you know, a lot of awesome Stephen King <laughs> novels, you know, mm-hmm. the conflicts of childhood mm-hmm. and, and that kind of thing. No, okay, so that's that's another question that I have is Charlie Brewster, is he a young teen or an older teen? I think he's an older teen. Mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly, but it feels like they're more like 17, mm-hmm. 18. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was interesting to see his girlfriend was played by Amanda Bierce, who went on to be in Married with Children. The other couple, not the Bundys, oh, but yeah, it yeah. was the mm-hmm. other couple. Mm-hmm. Um, she did an amazing job. They all did an amazing job. And this this um, character or this actor, I think it was Stephen Jeffries, who played this character, Evil Ed, you know, you've got you've got your, you know, good-looking male protagonist, mm-hmm. you've got the girlfriend, and then you've got the weird friend. Right. But as weird friends go, Evil Ed is off the chart. Really? He's just completely weird and bizarre, and there's a lot of story around the fact mm-hmm. of his difference and his degree of, if I'm remembering correctly, his degree of loneliness and alienation. Mm -hmm. And, um, spoiler, spoiler alert. So he is, um, attacked by the vampire and he does ultimately end up being killed in the first one. Now I'm not, I was really sad because you could tell that there was something in his transformation, if I'm remembering correctly, that it gave him something that he didn't have as a weird kid. Uh huh. Um, that specialness. It, yeah, and then it felt sad that mm. he that he died. Now I haven't seen any. Oh, of his so sequels. he's changed into a vampire and yes. then he's killed. Oh, and then that's killed. Sucks. Yeah, and I think I can't remember. It might be like his friends who have to. Oh. I know. Damn it! Why is it always? 
don't like that. And all the weird kids. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. So I love. I also love. Um. I love Roddy McDowell is in this. He's absolutely amazing. Um, of course, he was in Planet of the Apes. I mean, mm-hmm. he was an actor way back into the 50s, probably before that. And I like these actors who, a kid, um, if you're a young kid watching a movie, you seem to have an awareness. Oh, this is someone who's established. This mm-hmm. is someone who's famous. Right. And now I'm seeing them as an, uh, later in their career, maybe in kind of a weird role. <laughs> um, but he was so fantastic in this. Just absolutely awesome. And I love it that Isaac, you know, when he, when he, then when he dressed up for Halloween, he had this <laughs> conflict. Like I either wanted to go as the vampire or as the vampire killer. Well, because to a lot of us, they're both the hero. Yeah. And I mean, as much as we talk about the final girl, like the final girl wouldn't be who she is without the hero. And that's a, uh, without the hero or without or sorry, the, without the, without the, without um, the villain, without the villain. Yeah. Yeah. Without I mean, the monster there, maybe they're, you know, two sides of the same coin. You mm-hmm. know, we haven't gotten into that that much. Oh no. But, uh, mm. but we could. We certainly could. <laughs> Go on. And it does kind of actually make me think about uh, monster movies in general. How more often than not now, like I think about movies like The Babadook. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm just blanking on another one. Where the 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 monster... The spirit, the ghost, the invading presence is essentially a reflection of some sort of unresolved emotion. Right. There's usually grief, loss, you know, there's a death, there's a divorce, family mm-hmm. breakup. And so the monster is a manifestation of unresolved emotion. Yeah. Um, and, I, and that's great, and that's all fine and good. Um, but this is, you know, this is like a good old fashioned, a good old fashioned, like Isaac says, throwback horror. It's, yeah. It's a mon- it's about monsters and monster killers. And I always had a very literal interpretation of monsters and, and I think it took someone maybe pointing out about the whole, I mean, it's not that hard to pick up on, but. I appreciate the monster just for what it yeah. is. Yeah, the monster in itself is scary enough. We don't have to uh, necessarily, although I love to do it, uh, turn it into some psychological, uh, deep-seated, thematic thing. That's what know. we do. We're the we're, <laughs> we've, I, we, uh, apparently we go Oprah on this show, yeah. so and that's fine. <laughs> Y'all know how rich Oprah is, right? I mean, come on. Yeah. Come here, Freddie. <laughs> Sit down on our couch. <laughs> I'm afraid that if the if if you know the the 
uh, our version of the Oprah, a few of our favorite things would be like, okay, you get like a six month supply of corn nuts and you get and a bowl of peeled grapes, peeled grapes, and maybe like a, a, an iTunes gift card or something. Anyway, Ooh, you know, yeah. that's fine. That's a good, yeah. that's good swag. Yeah. <laughs> I love this microphone. <laughs> yes, it is awesome. It's awesome. It is and change the way I sound, which I don't love, but it's uh, okay. What were you were you expecting it to like make you sound like Isaac? More resonant. Yeah. More um, like everything I said was just dripping with importance, which we well, all know. I think is not I think true. it is dripping with importance. It's you... dripping with something. <laughs> Stop. Stop. I will not let you do I will not let you do this. To okay, yourself. thank you. Um, Me back from But the I edge. you know, I think that um something that really caught me um going back to the um how the horror movie was sort of changing during that time um isaac says that they were spectacles not stories this is a story this is clear you could probably map it out on the hero's journey um the uh there's a clear antagonist and a clear protagonist and one is clearly good and one is clearly bad. Yeah. 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 I think that's really good. And it, it's... So the... With the slasher, the killer, the Michael, the Jason, the Freddy, ended up becoming the one that people cheered for. Sort of mm-hmm. this quote-unquote hero. Mm-hmm. And then you get into the 90s where you've got like... I think a big like watershed moment was Hannibal Lecter, mm-hmm. where you're you're cheering, you know, you're cheering for him. But this is a much more, it's a very disturbed individual, but much more nuanced, much more yeah. subtle. You still want him to be in jail, yeah. But you, yeah, kind of do want him to get his day on the beach every year or whatever. Yeah, you ask for on um, Anthrax Island, yes. That was what that's what he calls it when Clarice Starling is like Plum Island Animal Research Center. Oh. Sounds charming. That's what he says. (laughs) (laughs) So another thing I loved about this piece was the theme of just becoming freaking obsessed with Uh something. Uh Becoming obsessed. Watching it for breakfast, watching it for lunch, mm-hmm. watching it for dinner. When your friends come over, I gotta show you this. Right. And, and they're like, we've already seen it. You've shown it to us 12 times. Yeah, but I found something new in it. Yeah. Oh, but you could, no, no. You didn't like it. When you love something, mm-hmm. you, like, there's nobody, if you really love something, there's probably nobody who is going to love it in the same way to the same depth. Right. But I think with horror community, you do, I mean, you do find that. The magic of the internet. Yes, the magic (laughs) of the internet. Yep. Um, But yeah, I just think, I I just, it's a great film. I actually, you know, just talking about it makes me want to watch it again. I think the the sequels, I can't even remember how many of them there are. Yeah, they like sequels. They have kind of mixed, Mm -hmm. mixed reviews. Um... But, um, I just, I, I really want to thank Isaac for, yes. for, for doing this. Um, 
we, as we explained at the beginning of this episode and at the beginning of these mini-sodes yeah. that we're doing, um, it's a way to connect even more with horror community. We just love hearing like why people became fans, what were those experiences, those movies, those actors, those, those sub-genres that just, you know, to this day, if somebody were to ask you, what would be those things that you would want to write about and talk about? So this was, this was really awesome. Yeah. And this is going to air, because we decided, unlike when we <laughs> usually are talking, right. that it's going to air um, the week after Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. So it's a kind, this is, I think it's perfect timing, because this is a way of saying to just how thankful we are for... Our oh, friends. That's really sweet. And our horror friends. Yeah. And how thankful I am for you. Oh, I'm so thankful yeah. for you, Lori. Thank and you. all of our listeners and everyone who's written in with a letter. And so you please write in to us with your letters to dearfinalgirl at gmail.com. Yes. Uh, and if you have um, an origin story, a horror origin story, that's really hard to say. Horror, 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 horror. It's like the world drawer. Horror, horror, horror. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you have your origin story, you can write it out and email it to us, or you can record it and send it to us. Yep. If you write it out and email it to us, we will read it back right, to you. If you prefer. Yeah. If you prefer. Yeah, some people, because we have, we have several of these now, so we're going to intersperse uh, our letter episode. Oh my god, we're turning into that. I like that the last like two minutes was just laughing and barreling. Off the rails. So yeah, send us your letters at dearfinalgirl at gmail.com or send us your origin stories. Um, you can also DM us. Yes. We are at Final Deer on Twitter. Um, yeah, and, and um, thank you again, Isaac. We really yeah. appreciate you. Thank you again. Um, Isaac Thorne is the author of the horror novel The Gordon Place, in addition to numerous short stories. He's a nice man who wants to provide you with a few fun frights. This is his bio. (laughs) This is fantastic. You can find him online at www.isaacthorne.com and on Twitter at Isaac R. Thorne, I-S-A-A-C-R-T-H-O-R-N-E. Yes, wonderful. Thank you, Final Deer. Thank you, Final Deer. <laughs> final girl, Final Deer. Catch y'all next time. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Tune in next time for another origin story from a member of Mutant Fam. It might even be someone you know. Until then, stay alive out there. <laughs>